I am very excited to begin preaching through Revelation. I think it's a book that's incredibly applicable to what we deal with today, what things, uh, how things are happening in, in our country, uh, in this world. I think it has a lot to say, and it's a neglected book. Uh, it's a book, book that's often misunderstood. It's a book that we have trouble trying to read, to make sense of. And, and my hope is, is that we will be able to make sense of what God has to communicate to us from this incredibly important book. Um, so the revelation of Trent John, let's jump right, jump right in. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. This is of Jesus Christ. It's from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed are those who read aloud. So your, your very first application will jump in right away. Very first thing that you do, often we're looking for what we're supposed to do. You want, you want the, the preacher to tell you what to do. Here's what you do. You read this book aloud. I, I want you, and as we go through this each week, uh, I want you to read this to your family, to your spouse, to your friends. Um, to, to, I want you to read it out loud. Uh, what is that going to look like? I don't know. Maybe right before dinner. Maybe right after dinner. Um, maybe at some point during the week you say, hey, let's read this out loud. And, and not just to yourself. It says read it out loud. Blessed are you if you read it out loud. Blessed are you if you hear it. So, if nothing else, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear this. You will be blessed by reading this out loud to the people that you love and care about. I promise. So do that. Um, and so I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going I'm to read the rest of chapter 1 out, out loud. Picking up in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to Him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to be in Him glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on, a, on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos, on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, 
and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a, in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not! I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Please pray with me. Father, You promise to teach us through Your Word. Come, Holy Spirit, fall down upon us now. Come, Holy Spirit, and open minds and hearts to You, to Your Word, to the truth of who the Word points to, to the truth of Jesus Christ. Show us Jesus. It's His name we pray. Amen. A lot of what I want to do this morning is an introduction to Revelation. Um, because it, we need to understand w- what we're getting into and, and how, to, how to read it, how to move forward, how to, how to make sense of it. Um, and so I want, to, I want to start with just some, some basic introduction kind of stuff. First thing you want to see is you look at verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What that means is this is Jesus Christ speaking. Um, it's Jesus Christ to John to communicate to the churches. A lot of times when we read letters... And this is a letter. When we read letters in the Bible, we see that it's Paul and he's communicating what he's heard and what he's seen and what he's done. In this case, this is Jesus communicating. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ to his servants. Right? So, to, this is Jesus to his servants. So, that's Jesus to Christians. Right? So, this is, this is for you. If you are in Christ, if you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, then this is for you. It's from Jesus for you. From Jesus to His people. And it's through John. And so to to understand what's happening here, John, uh, he he saw this. You look at verse 2. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. And then, if you look down at verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. And then you go on to to verse 10. This is John speaking. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. This is what John heard. This is what he saw. And then he was told clearly, verse 11, Jesus says, Write what you see. Verse 19, Write therefore the things you have seen. So this is what John saw in the Spirit from God, from Jesus, for us. And it is a letter. 
It has introductions like many of the letters that we read in the Bible. If you look at verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. That's, that's a typical introduction for a letter. Grace to you and peace from Him who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits are before His throne. We'll talk about the seven in a second. We'll talk about uh, spirits and understanding that. But, but see that this is a gospel introduction. In fact, he goes right into the gospel. And, and, and like many of the introductions in the Bible, um, we see that they, they make clear, Paul makes clear, Peter makes clear the gospel as he begins his letter. And so that's what he does here. If you look at, at verse 5, second part, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This, that's the gospel. Jesus loves you. He, he loves you so much that He came and He died for you. Last night I talked about how His blood washes us clean from all of our sins. Uh, it stains that, that soap and water won't take out. But the blood of Christ does because His blood is life. And it frees us to live. The stains in our life, that's, that's death. But the blood of Jesus Christ brings us life. This is the gospel, and it's the introduction to this book. And that's what we need to keep in front of us the whole time. As we read through this, and we read stuff, and we're like, it doesn't make sense. We're like, how do we figure out dragons and lakes of fire and seven spirits and lampstands? Keep in mind that this starts and it finishes and it's throughout. It's the gospel. So it is a letter, it's a letter, um, but it's a different kind of letter. And we see that right away in verse 7. It says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. And so, it, so it, it's prophecy, but it's not just prophecy like we usually think. We usually think prophecy is what's going to happen. Someone is going to predict the future. But prophecy is not just predicting the future. In fact, more often than not, what prophecy is, is confronting us with the truth, right? It's confronting us with the gospel. And this book is that kind of prophetic. It confronts us with Jesus, and it confronts us with the gospel. And so it, it is prophecy, but it's also apocalyptic. And right now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but our culture, it loves the apocalyptic. Like every movie, every TV show, it, all, it's all talking about the apocalypse. It's, they, we, we are fascinated as the people of God with the apocalypse, about what's going to happen or how it might play out, whether it's zombies or, or nuclear war. Or, it, we, 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 we are fascinated with the apocalypse. Why? Why do you think people today, why do you think our culture is so fascinated with the apocalypse. It's because we realize that this is not the answer. That, that this world, that everything that it has, that there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And the, and the book of Revelation, it talks about that more. And so it is apocalyptic. And it's different from the other books of the Bible. Save Daniel. Daniel and uh, Revelation are, are in the same genre. So how do we read apocalyptic genre? 
We don't read it the same way that we read the Gospels. It's a different kind of book. The Gospels is, is a Gospel historical narrative, right? So it's telling a story. Acts does the same thing. Uh, Genesis does the same thing. That's a historical narrative. It tells a story, and it's got a theological um, impact to it, uh, but it's telling a story of what has happened and how God worked. And then we read the epistles. We read, we read Paul's letter, and we see him preaching doctrine. We see him talking about the reality of theology. And then we come to Revelation, and we're like, what do we do with that? And the problem I think that many of us make when we come to Revelation is we want to figure it out like we try to figure out doctrine. Um, but we need to read it differently. In fact, I, I, my guess is that your kids and your grandkids will have an easier time reading this genre, this apocalyptic genre, than you will. And the reason, the reason for that is that kids, and you know, I guess I'm, some of you are old enough to be my, my parent, so I would qualify as your kid. I, maybe I qualify as a kid. You know, we love that fantasy genre, the Lord of the Rings. Have you ever, have you ever watched a, a, a fantasy movie like The Lord of the Rings and you're like, what is this? Elves and trolls and goblins. Yeah, you know, give me a John Wayne movie. You know, um, and, and the same can be said for sci-fi. The same can be said for the books that fit in that genre. They're, they are fantasy, which means they're fantastic. It's fantastical. It's stuff that doesn't make sense, but, it, but it's huge. And, and, it, and it speaks clearly into truths like good and evil. That's what Revelation does. It is fantastic. It is, it is a fantasy, but it's a true fantasy. It, it's a myth, but it's the, it's the real myth, the true myth. And, the, and so to read this, we have to use our imagination. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to imagine things that you haven't seen. And that's, and, that's, and that's what we see John doing as he describes these truths of, of, the, uh, of the gospel, the truth of Jesus and what he does. So we have to change the way that we read when we read this book. We also have to put away this idea that it's a puzzle to be figured out. Um, and, and, and that's not what this is. This is not a puzzle to try to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. And, and we, don't, we don't have to look too far back in history to see that many people have tried to figure out this puzzle, which it's not, but they, they've looked at it like a puzzle and they said, Jesus is coming back on this day. And they were wrong. And so they have to go back and they rework things and they say, oh, I forgot to carry the nine. And so Jesus is going to come back on this coming day. And, and they continue to be wrong. Because this is not about figuring where Jesus comes back. When He comes back. He's coming back right here. He's coming back on the clouds. It's not about figuring out those things. Now, later on, you may want to have a theological discussion with me about the different ways to read this book, the different ways that we understand what's happening. And I would love to have that discussion with you. But what I want us to do is to understand 
is that we're going to read this in a way where we see Jesus. We're not going to read it in a way to predict the future. We're not going to read it in a way so we can understand what's happening and how it fits into Jesus' return. Instead, we're going to read it so we see how Jesus meets us in this great tribulation. And that's what we look at in verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation. If you are theologically minded, you know that this, this word tribulation get, gets, gets talked about in a lot of different ways. But I want to make it easier for us. And I want to say that tribulation is stuff that we experience. And I think this is true about what, the, what Revelation is saying about tribulation. Today is the 15th anniversary of the attack on, uh, uh, on 9-11. What happened that day was part of the tribulation. It wasn't part of us trying to figure out, figure out when Jesus is going to come back. And, and this has to happen again. But it's tribulation. In fact, uh, in, in, ni- in, not 19, in 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem... That's part of the tribulation. Uh, another date for us, uh, December 7, 1941, the attack on Pearl Harbor. That's part of the tribulation. And, and we don't even have to take big events. We can take it personal too and say, you know, when, when that person whom you love died tragically, that's part of the tribulation. You know, Paul, um, sorry, John here says that he's the partner in the tribulation. If, he's, if he is participating, if John, who uh, died somewhere around the turn of the first century, if he is partnering in the tribulation, then that means he's experiencing, he's experiencing it then. And we, can, we experience it now. I want us, what I want is for us to read this plainly. Right? Like you do not have to have a theological degree to understand Revelation. In fact, children can understand it. Right? They can read it. And you know what? Children will probably understand it quickly because they're not going to get bogged down in trying to figure it out. Instead, what will happen is they'll read it and they'll see Jesus. And, and they'll read it, they'll see Jesus, and they'll say, Jesus wins. And so I want us to do that as well. I want us to read this plainly. Let's put that to the test. Reading this plainly. Alright, I'm going to read verses 12 through 16. And what we want to do is we want to read this plainly. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Alright, so I read that. Hopefully you read along or listening as well. And, and, and what did you see? What did you see when you read that? Did you see lamps? Did you see, did you see a robe? Did you see a gold sash? Did you see, did you see his hair? Did you see his eyes? His mouth? The sword? 
What, what, is, what does that all mean? If that's where you went, which is often what we do, particularly when we read something like this, if that's where you went, where you say, uh, well, what does that mean? Then, then you've missed the point. Um, you've missed the point. That's not the point because it's not a puzzle to be figured out. So, so let's try again. And, and let me ask you this time, will you, do you see Jesus? Will you see Jesus as we read this? And, and if you're brave, if you're courageous, you'll close your eyes. Uh, and, and that's what I encourage you to do. I want you to close your eyes as I read this again. I want you to see Jesus as I read this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth. Came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What is this? What is it saying? It's saying that our God is beautiful. It's saying that He is majestic. You're saying that He is one who to be praised. That He is powerful. That He is mighty. That He is glorious. This is your God. When we read this, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus in His glory. And we can use our imagination to do that. We can close our eyes and see the beauty of our Savior. Did you see your Savior? Remember, this is for Christians. Did you see your Savior? Did you see His beauty? Did you see His majesty? What does your Savior say? Verse 17. When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. But He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not. So what does your Savior say? What does He do? He reaches out. He reaches out and He touches John. He touches him physically. He reaches out. He puts His hand on him. And He says, Fear not. Fear not. And, and that touch, that's so, that's so Jesus, right? I mean, if, if you read through the Gospels, if you're familiar with, with Jesus in the Gospels, we see that He's touching. He's touching everybody. He reaches out and he puts his hand, and often, and often, just when, like the 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 woman who touched his robe and was healed, it's just about touching Jesus. How how often? How long do you go through the day without being touched, without getting a hug? Jesus reaches out and he puts his hand on him. And he says, "Fear not." Why does he say, "Fear not"? Why is it that throughout the Bible, we have God say, fear not. Again and again, do not fear. Fear not. Because we're afraid. Now, now we, we, are, we are Americans. We are, we are independent. We are capable. We are strong. We can get it done. We, and <laughs> we've gotten a lot done here over the last few months. We, we can get it done. And we do not want to admit that we're afraid. We do not want to say, 
I'm scared. But look at, look at your anxieties. Or look at your worries. Uh, or look, consider the things that keep you up at night. Uh, or or what, what makes you angry? Or when do you snap at your spouse? Or uh, when, when, do you, when, when do you get frustrated? And how do you respond in your frustration? So those things point to the fact that we are afraid. We are afraid of what's to come. We aren't trusting God with what's to come. Whenever we get angry, whenever we get worried, whenever we get fearful, whenever we snap at those that are closest to us, we are demonstrating our fear. We're demonstrating that we don't trust God. And so Jesus reaches out to us, and he, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our anxieties, He reaches out and He says, Fear not. And then what does He say? He says, I got this. I got it. Look, look at verse 17. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I got this. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So how, how does he have it? How, how, does he, how, does he get, how does he take care of it? He defeated death. Death. And, and the base, that's our fear. Even little tiny deaths where we have to say no to ourselves. But Jesus defeated death. He defeated, he defeated the big death. He defeated sin. He defeated that part of ourselves that makes us angry and frustrated and fearful. Jesus defeated death. And he says, this is how it will be. This is how it will be. A lot of times when we read the book of Revelation, we want to, we want to know when Jesus is coming back because of our fears, because of our anxieties, because of our worries. I mean, have, you ever, have you ever, as a Christian, have you ever thought, Okay, Jesus, come back now because I can't take this anymore. And I am ready for you to come back. And that's good and right. It's good and right because we look around the world today and we say, God, there is so much that is broken in this world, and in my life, in my family, and I need you to come back. What we see here is that He is coming back. When? When is He coming back? Well, soon. Verse 1, things that must soon take place. Verse 3, for the time is near. Verse 7, He is coming with the clouds. And He's beautiful. He's beautiful and He's coming. But we know... We know that for God, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. We read that in Peter. So, so if that's true, then, then the last 2,000 years have been a couple days. But that's reading it the wrong way. A thousand years, it's not, it's not to be measured. It's to say that we don't know when. A long time. It's been a long time. For us, it feels like a long time. When is Jesus coming back? It wasn't yesterday. We know that. 
It is not up till 11.58. I'm almost done. It has not happened yet. 11.59, maybe. Nope. Maybe this afternoon. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Maybe next year. Maybe the next hundred years. Maybe the next thousand years. But He's coming, and He's coming soon. And He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us alone in it. This promise that Jesus is coming back. He's given us His very self. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And so, because He has defeated death, we can rest. We can rest. Those things that you're anxious and worried about, things that you don't trust God with, your desire to serve your own needs, your own pleasures, your own comforts, you don't have to do that. You can rest. You can give of yourself to your spouse, to your loved ones, to your children, to your family, to your friends. You can freely give because you can trust that death has been defeated and you can rest with the hope of what's to come. Because what's to come? I mean, let me tell you what's to come. More Jesus in your life today, tomorrow, until He comes again. More Jesus in your life. That's the hope and the promise that we find in Revelation. And I'm excited to, to discover this with you. And so what do you do? Go home and read it out loud. Let's pray together. Father, show us the hope that we have in Jesus. Show us the hope that is to come. Show us the hope that is today. What is true for yesterday, today, and tomorrow is that Jesus is good. And He's given us life through His blood. Make those truths real in our lives, even right now. In Jesus' name, Amen.